Welcome back to the Two Dudes Three Legs podcast with your hosts, Zach Dingy, Tony Cavalletti. Today, we sit down with John Gilroy, who was diagnosed with cerebral palsy at 18 months old. And we talk about his journey of where that took him, how he defined being disabled, and what his struggle was like. And he ripped some bars in the middle of it. Oh, that yeah. Was he started crazy. rapping. Yeah. Well, spoken word, but his poem, poem is rap. Sure. With a beat. He gives the sickest analogy I think I've ever heard about being a puzzle piece. It's a good one. You're going to want to stick around to the end. Yo, 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 oh, you fucking want to be famous. Zach Dingy. Tony Cavalletti. Two Three Legs Podcast, where we share business tips, interview experts, and travel the world. This week on Two Dudes, Three Legs. John Gilroy, my man. So for those people who do not know, uh, can you tell us what cerebral palsy actually means? Okay, so cerebral palsy, what it is, it's a neuromuscular disorder. It's congenital, which means you're born with it, mm. right? So basically what that means, for me specifically, because there's a lot of different types of CP, mine is spastic diplegia, which is two sides. I would venture to say probably more triplegia, which is three limbs. So um, basically my type... My brain basically is constantly sending contraction signals to every single muscle in my body. Mm. So um, if you see me stand in my walker, you'll see I'm like standing on my toes like a ballerina, you know, so I have to use the walker so I don't, you know, fall on my ass, you know. Mm. So basically, and every day, twice a day, I have to get uh, physical therapy. I have people that come to the house. Um, the sessions are probably long. They're probably the itself. The session probably lasts like two to three hours per that's session. Twice a day. Every twice day? a day. Yeah. Holy fuck! And that's a full body, um, full body stretch. Everything, you know, everything that we we go the full body. It it makes it so I'm still able to walk, still able to move. Because basically, what happens is if I did not do that, um, the muscles would keep contracting, and essentially they would lock. And mm. and once you lock, it's gone. It's like the forty year old virgin. They say, you know, you you, you don't use it, you lose it. You yeah. know what I mean? You don't. Damn. If I don't stretch the muscles, I lose the ability to move them. So, uh, you know, so, I'm. Go ahead. I was gonna say, John. So so how rare is CP? Before we get into like how you treat it. How rare? That's interesting. Honestly, I mean, I'm not a medical professional, so I can't tell you like yeah. how rare it is. But I do know, like, uh, the, it is congenital. So you're more likely to contract CP if you're born premature. So I was, mm. bo I was born uh, three months premature. Uh, my, I was a C-section baby. My head could literally fit in the palm of my mom's hand. Wow. Um, they actually apologized for my death, and I had not even died. Quite clearly, I'm here. You know, and... Um, you know, they basically... They told your mother that you passed away. Yeah, they, they came into the room and said, I'm so sorry for your loss. And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, he's okay. You know, he's he's here, you know? They fully what? expected, yep. So, mm -hmm. when, so was it upon birth that, that your diagnosis was discovered? Uh, or? no. Okay, it so was... Did they know anything was wrong when you were born? Well, I I... For legal reasons, I can't say... They did, because but uh, I mean, 
I would venture to say if I could, I would say yes, they probably did. But okay. again, okay. I'm not saying definitively. I don't know. Don't sue me. <laughs> but bas basically, um, uh, you know, my the diagnosis, I was officially diagnosed at 18 months. Okay. And the doctor that diagnosed me uh, at the end of the day basically said he knew sooner, but he was afraid to tell my parents. Mm. Um so basically then he just started you know anything they asked he would do because he didn't want a lawsuit you know mm. i mean we, i grew up pretty poor so we wouldn't have the money for a lawsuit anyway but um you know yeah it was 18 months i got the diagnosis they just noticed that i was missing milestones like i wasn't walking i wasn't sitting up i was like rolling around my house that's basically what i would do just just like roll like full body roll around the house mm. yeah and i mean you know they my parents got me once they got the diagnosis my parents i honestly so much credit to them i know you're watching love you guys um they got me into what's called early intervention services where mm. basically you start out you get uh, occupational therapy in the home, physical therapy in the home, right away, start it, you know. And so, they they were just so proactive from the start. Yeah. Now, it seems to me like you're very loose, so to speak. Like, you really yeah. don't have major contractions well, like some people yeah, do. Yeah, well, if you see, so so my upper body, yeah. it's it, mostly it's in my lower body. Mostly it. it's in my legs. Mm. Um, you can kind of see it in my left hand. Like, if I put my arms out, See how this one doesn't go out as far as this one? Yeah. And then see how like this one's kind of like, you know, slower moving. Yeah. This one's more fluid. Yeah. This one's slower. See? Mm -hmm. So, and then like, see the hyperextension on, on the fingers. my fingers and yeah. stuff? That's kind of, I always joked when I was like in middle school, like this hand has a mind of its own. <laughs> like, it's going to be like, you know, but yeah, um, that's, funny. that's kind of, you can see the difference, you know, and I'm, in a very lucky spot so to where i can control that to an extent because part of those stretches are like wrist stretches like supination stretches so supination's this way pronation that way mm -hmm. supination like you're holding a, holding a bowl of soup pronation that way you mm -hmm. know so like i hate when i'm somewhere this is why i love the fact that we're going towards cashless society because right, right. I hate when, you know, you're ordering something, they're like, here, hold on, here's your change. And I have to like, you, they try and give it to me in my left hand and oh, I'm like, fuck. I can't do it. So now I have to reach both hands and I look like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm on the street, like, please give me change, sir, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then, and then people have to sit there and wait behind me, like, and wait for me to try and organize this change. And I ended up just stuffing it in my pockets and like, I'm going to go I'm gonna, and just trying to rush out and not be awkward, you know, so. Yeah. We should definitely get into like those levels of independence and what those things kind of mean to you in those moments. I'd like to kind of address though, a lot of people that we interview end up being in this gray area in regards to like, like, are you, you said that you, are you defined as a triplegic, paraplegic? Like what is your definition? Well, it's, it's not, it's not like, like it's not the, the sole diagnosis is not like quadriplegic, paraplegic, that type of thing. Okay. That in itself, that goes with, you know, those are types of paralysis that okay. can happen. Um, what what hap what is what the diagnosis is is uh, uh, di 
Sorry. <laughs> Spastic diplegic cerebral palsy. Okay. So basically, That's easy to say. Yeah. So basically, exactly, <laughs> I right? I remember that. But say, it, say it three times fast, right? I couldn't right? say yeah. it once slow. So spastic diplegic cerebral palsy. Got it. Other What's words, I'm very a huge spaz. That's what I tell There you go. Uh, mm. That's know. easier to but say. I say that and some people are like, you can't say that. And I'm like, I'm the one that has it. I can say it. Mm-hmm. But basically, um, so... That's the official diagnosis. That just basically means that the muscles in two of my limbs are very, very tense and the tone is very, very high. And the, the um, you know, like I said, the brain signals are constantly firing. And which are the two limbs, both legs? Both legs Got and it. my left arm. And there's Got different it. levels to this. Yes, I, obviously. I was born, they, they, they classified it as mild, mild um, because, yeah. I mean, uh, I defied a lot of odds. I mean, they, mm. a lot, excuse me, a lot of people that are born in my situation don't have the ability to speak, mm. Um, mm. you know, have some limited, like um, there was a um, kid, his name is Ryan. Uh, I haven't seen him in a long time, but he was born the same day as me under the exact same circumstances. Wow. Exact same. Three months and, early. Mm-hmm, and, and him... His mother and my mother shared a room. Um, wow. And he, in the hospital room? Yes. That's and, insane. And not like the delivery room. Uh, they yeah, yeah, they yeah, were yeah, like, let's yeah. deliver them together. But So they shared yeah, a room. That's crazy. And, and so, so he got the same diagnosis, right? Mm-hmm. Ryan ended up being completely nonverbal, completely like severely cognitively impaired, and now um, has to... Um, he lives in a residential um, facility right now. Mm-hmm. So um, CP can be paired with autism? No, no, no. That has nothing to do with autism. It's just he, he it's a basically an independent living. So it's he has so much needs, like care needs. Yeah. And, and his family, I'm assuming now, I'm project, I don't want to project anything. Yeah. But a lot of times if someone has that level of care and the family is unable to provide that, then they enter into residential facilities, homes. But it is, right. but it is true that there is a lot of co-occurring conditions with CP that there, could be autism. There, there, I and mean, the, the and the voice part kind of like it makes that big difference, right? So you're what, able to kind of like you know, obviously you're like brilliant, so let you know, you're less limited. Right? Let me uh, clarify because I don't want to, I don't want this to go down the wrong road here. Hmm. That autism and and uh, yeah. It, Autism can uh, occur with anything, literally anything. Mm. You know, autism in, in itself is a um, it's a neurodivergent you know disorder type thing. I'm sure you've heard that. Um, it has nothing to do, no link with cerebral palsy. None of that. It stands alone on itself. Right. Someone who has CP can also be autistic. You know, someone who doesn't have CP. Right, right, right. But you said it came with a, his version came with cognitive so, deficiency. So, yeah, said. Well, well, I said cognitive impairment. Impairment, but that, sorry. But that, but that also, but that is typically, like I said, I defied it because a lot of cases, that is one of the, one of the things that comes with some forms of CP. Can gotcha. You know, so that, that's just CP in itself because cerebral palsy on its face is, a developmental disability. It's caused by, I probably should have said this in the beginning, 
it's caused by a lack of oxygen to the frontal lobes of your brain mm. um, at birth. At birth. Yes. And that's all it takes is yes. at birth. Okay. At birth. At birth. Um, they can, uh, some of the milder forms of CP, you can sometimes, um, I know someone who had no clue they had CP until they were an adult. And then they, they realized like, oh, I'm, I'm like, I have this like little limp and I'm having a trouble with that. And then they went to the doctor and they're like, oh, you have CP. Yeah. And so when, it, when is it that it's lacking oxygen to the, what portion of the brain you said? The, well, my, my portions, my type specifically, I don't know if it's different for others. Um, let me just put that caveat out there. Yeah. But for my type specifically and my experience with it, it was a lack of oxygen to the frontal lobes of your brain. And for what, an extended period of time? I just uh, want to understand this. Basically, yeah. I mean, so basically what happened was, um, I, I'm not really sure if it's an extended. The, oh, the only thing the doctors have told me was the lack of oxygen. That's they it. Said it's okay. just a lack so they of oxygen. Do... They, okay. they didn't give me like the time period. <laughs> My mom, My mom hates it, but I'd make the joke. Mom, I love you. This is just a joke. I don't. She. I always. I I always say. I always. (laughs) I always say, Mom, you just had to take a few more deep breaths. Oh man, (laughs) that's rough. My boy's a savage. And and she. She's. She's like John. That's not how that works. Yo, that's funny as shit. No, Mom, I love you. That's just a joke, and you know. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. What kind of difficulties did you have growing up compared to to now? So, um, great question. Um, so growing up, it was, uh, so I have an older brother, Dean, um, who is, um, Mm non-disabled and also, uh, you know, so watching him, he's five years older than me, watching him, you know, everyone wants to be like their older brother. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're the little brother, you look up to your older brother. So I'm sure my parents we're waiting for the day that I was going to ask, you know, the question that would like break their hearts, you know? So I remember I was like four years old and this is why I credit my mom so much. Um, and my dad, we'll get to that. But, um, when I was four years old, I was playing with my Legos and I asked my mom, mom, uh, when am I going to be able to walk like Dean? Hmm. And my mother, to her credit, did not miss a beat. So I told you earlier that I walk with a walker, you know. So my mother, without missing a beat, she said, well, you'll never be able to walk like Dean, but Dean will never be able to walk like you. Mm. So in that moment, at, at four years old, I was like, oh, okay, so this is my normal. That's his normal. Right. Everybody has... A baseline normal in their life. And that's just what it is, you know? And, and then as I got older, my father had a a similar conversation with me. I I was probably like nine or 10. He sat me down and he said, listen, you're getting older. Um, I want you to know you, we live in a world that people are going to project a lot of things onto you. Um, They're going to, you know, say that you can't do X, Y, and Z. Um, they're going to want you to basically like <laughs> just shut up and not exist. You know what I mean? But 
it's so you're gonna have to fight 10 times harder that's rough your parents use that type of language to do anything well they they were just being real with me yeah you know, no you're, that's you're gonna, i think you're, you're gonna have to fight 10 times and he told i appreciate me, he that. told me like is, is it fair no it's not fair it's mm -hmm. not fair at all should it be like that absolutely not it right. should not be like right. that no. but this is what you're going to be up against so from a very early age i've always just been like you know wanting to explain to people what this is like uh like when i was five years old we, were, we used to go to the D dutchess county fair because mm -hmm. i grew up on a farm in pleasant valley so um right down the road from west road school so um wait uh, what farm uh on uh, west road the that big hill with the they used to have the corn fields by the road the barn uh like right across from that flower that flower yeah shop. the big barn yeah but across, i own but across that the, no no but across the road from that up Con the hill conklin hill up that hill oh yeah oh the from your property yeah that's a, oh okay so, oh i got you yeah. so where the flowers are you go up behind that and yeah, a, oh, yeah that, okay. that's my grandparents property my grandparents oh. lived there and and I grew up on the same property. So. Yeah, you know the flower barn right across the street from the sunflowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I own that. Oh wow, small yeah. world. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So so that place right across from there, that's where I grew up. That's small world, yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah, right. So so this that? is exactly why I wanted you to have on, John. So I just wanted to kind of express this and let you guys keep having a conversation. Like we, I would really think it is like important to you know dispel like whatever stigmas there are. That's why I asked my question. Maybe it sounded like you know like. It, you know, like I was uneducated on the subject, but that that's we're definitely aligned in those understandings of like this is important to share with people who, you know, maybe they're not expecting to hear this kind mm -hmm. of information yeah. about things like to right. hit those stigmas. There is up. a lot of misunderstanding. I'm yeah. impressed with the way your parents handled it. That, that's My, very yeah. cool. I mean, it's I can tell you from experience, I'll, like uh, a lot of the early physical therapists that I worked with, they all have said over the years that. Um, the way my parents handled it is very rare. I mean, yeah. I remember my parents told me that when they first got the diagnosis, they started going to like support groups and with other parents, right? And uh, <laughs> they said that eventually they looked at each other like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, mm -hmm. because everyone else, first of all, every week you'd go, someone new was getting divorced. Like there was just like less people there every week. And then it would always just devolve into this, in their words, a pity party. Like, what was me? What did we do? Mm -hmm. Blah, blah, blah. And my parents are like, why are you here? Like, this is your child. So this is what you have. So your child is a human being. And it's your job to make sure that they succeed. Yeah. Like, it's not your job to sit here and, you know, Hey, essentially what it sounds like hating the fact that you have a child yeah. with mm. that mm. you know this is your child your own blood that you just gave birth to so now it's your job to to make sure that they can succeed to whatever level that they are fully capable of doing that right um was your mom present in school a lot was she there like as an aide to you she was not that that was uh she, that was um her name was jennifer barry okay she, she basically, so it's funny because I used to call her my school mom mm -hmm. because she started as my one-to-one -one aide in kindergarten. Wow. And 
went all the way through senior year of high school with me. Holy so fuck. so that's, that's crazy, what, like 14, bro. that's like you still stay talk with to you the whole Barry? time. Yeah. Yep. Why do I feel like I remember that name? Uh, I mean, cause cause we were everywhere, dude. Everybody knew who Ms. we were. Barry. I mean, it's not it's not hard because like everybody everybody when I was in when I was in high school high school high school anyway, because that's where you knew me from, right? High yeah. school. So when I was in high school, people either knew me as John, John Gilroy, John the kid in a wheelchair, or yeah. or all oh, that kid in a wheelchair. Yeah. And that's that's why I had four different. <laughs> But yeah. you always had a wheelchair in school, didn't you yes. have a walker too? Yeah, I had, I had the walker. I would walk between periods. Yeah, yeah. But basically, so so Mrs. Barry was always with me, and we we yep. at that point we were like a married couple. Like yeah. we would just joke around, like f- fuck around all the time, yeah. you know, yeah. you know. And uh, it she became like synonymous with, you know. I see kids that I graduated with, and I swear they think like we're still like. Attached because of like, yo, how's Miss Barry doing? I'm like, yo, you know, like she's not. I like, I didn't have any. I don't have a one to one anymore. Like that stopped after high school. Like I would, yeah. but I, you know. I know Pook wants to ask. Just ask him. Did you smash? Oh, <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing. That's fucked up. <laughs> I did not because <laughs> because because. I am not heterosexual. <laughs> so, oh, so it's, shit. it's okay though. No, we can go into that later. But so that's another thing that I had to deal with too. I feel like you were famous in school, dude. I mean, yeah. that, that's that's everybody. You know what I think is the craziest you. thing of all the high schools he could have went to in the world? You went to Arlington with the longest walks between fucking classes, yes, bro, bro. That's what kept me fucking fish. Dude, dude, you kidding me? No, Are you for kidding real? me? That's PT right so, there. So I remember. So I remember they wanted to put me in like adapted PE, right? So for me, it just wasn't for me because I mean, no offense to anyone else there, but it was just it was too easy for me. You know, it was too easy for me, and it just I I was not enjoying it. So so was there was there ever a discrepancy that you experienced with? your placements in schooling where you had a developmental advantage, obviously over people who were, and also, you know, like, what do they call it? Like, what kind of class is it? Like special ed, right? So, so it's interesting because luckily I was never put in special ed classes. Okay. Luckily. But that's again, thanks to my parents, because when I was going into preschool, uh, you know, meanwhile, I'm already like talking everybody's ears off, you know, literally performing like singing doing whatever anytime there's a group around i'm putting on some type of show mm-hmm. you know cracking jokes doing whatever so the the preschool i went to wanted me to put into what wanted to put me into what essentially is like a special education class mm-hmm. you know and my parents said have you met him like no he you know that's not where he belongs, yep. you know, he's going to be in the regular class with everyone else. Yep. Um, and did they have to campaign on behalf of you? That's, essentially. Yeah. I don't understand why they would put you in a special uh, education well, class. Yeah, but yeah, physically, but, how, what does so, that have to do but, with your but, mental but, ability? But see, that's what happens in, in, in the world is, and, and that's, this is something I can also touch on. You do not know how many times, you know, I can, I'm a 30 year old man. I just turned 30. And no matter how old I get, I always say that disability come, what comes with disability and 
this is not, not something that is good. I would like it to change, and this is something we need to have a conversation about as a society. What comes with a disability is something of a perpetual childhood. People constantly view you as a child. Oh. I can be hmm. 30 years old, and they're always like, hi, honey, how are you? And they talk so slow. Oh, shit. Like, how are you? So sometimes I'll mess with them. I'll be like, I'm good. Like, right back to Adam, you know? Yo, that's or, funny. You got to call them motherfuckers out. Or, or, like, or like you got to call them out. Another example, and I'm assuming I can say whatever I want on Anything. this podcast. So I've had... Uh, people in supermarkets. This is when I moved up to my current, where my apartment is now, in Schenectady, right outside of Albany. Um, I'm in, I'm in the shopping. On the mic. I'm shopping, and some dude just pulls me aside and says, "Oh, yo, does your dick work in the supermarket, dude? This, this dude, I've, ne funny, I've never met this dude <laughs> ever. So I'm like, who the fuck?" Who are you, right? So, so I'm like, I'm like, oh no, I'm gonna give it to this dude. I'm like, I don't know. Why don't you suck it and find out? If <laughs> <laughs> you said that, yeah, yo, that's, that's fucking good. great. <laughs> and yo. my friend was like, yo, oh, you could honestly shit. probably get away oh, with shit. so much shit because nobody's gonna fucking come back at you. You're just well, like, like suck well, my that, dick, guy, that guy earned it, yeah, yeah. for I mean, sure. See, see, that that's the thing too that my parents taught me. It's it's be very selective. Yeah. Be very selective. So people are going to say stupid things. Of course. There's, there's, there's a difference between saying stupid things and ability and a, and a moment to educate mm. and in a moment to be like, that was some dumb shit. Yeah, clap and I'm gonna And I'm going to call you out. Yeah, what do your yeah. parents do for work? So my dad, um, growing up, he was a, um, he basically jack of all trades. He did uh, electrician work. He did, uh, the, actually, the tile in the Poughkeepsie Galleria he did a bunch of that. Holy shit. And then he did a lot of the uh, electrician work at Vassar College when they were doing that. And then uh, for 25 years after that, he did hardwood floor installation. Mm. So he was self-employed. for. And then my mother, she's been um, both a guidance secretary and a principal secretary at Poughkeepsie High School oh, for, uh, I think she's in her, mom, sorry if I'm getting this wrong, but. I think she's in her 32nd year. Uh, Zach, can you ask about can the uh, financial burden? Uh, yeah, um, fuck, I was just going to ask one other question, though. Fuck. Sorry. Oh, it was only, I was asking that because they give you, they gave you so many fucking good life lessons. I like mean, they're... Um, that's what I'm saying, that I honestly, I lucked out. Yeah, my, my I mean, parents, incredible. My parents are, are amazing. And, and listen... We can get into that later when we talk about like my message and stuff, but yeah. it was my relationship with especially my father. And uh, we've had this conversation now that I'm older. My relationship with my father was, wasn't always great. You know, there was a moment, there was a time in my life where I hated that man. I, I couldn't even be in the same room. Why? Yeah. Just why? because it was so the way that I describe it to my dad was at the time so i was like 16 at this time so everybody's a little angsty when yeah, i think everybody hates you know it. I had it but, but 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 with me i think it was i think it was i wanted like because i saw people with dads that talked to them dads that you know how are you feeling blah 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 that type of thing 
And my dad's not a talker. You know what mm. I mean? He doesn't sit down and, and talk, you know? So um, I, this is, I'll dive deeper into this later on probably, but um, that year I went through some things that I'll get into later. Um, and I went into therapy and through that therapy, I started to reframe the way I looked at things and realized, oh, wait a second. My dad does communicate with me. It's just in a way that I'm not looking for. Mm. He, my, my father was one of 11 kids. So Damn. he would, and he was number seven. So by the time they got to him, you know, it was like, daycare, figure it out. Who the fuck are you? Go, <laughs> you know, go, you know, he told me today driving here, he was like, you know, I was the quiet kid. And a lot of people, they think the quiet kid is dumb. So they say whatever they want in front of the quiet kid. So if you just listen, that's mm. how you, that's how you learn. That's how I learned everything. So, so my dad, like, he, he, you know, he was born in 57. So they don't really teach you like, oh, let's talk about how you feel. No, oh, yeah, that's talk not about that all the time. That's man. not, that's not how that shit works. You yeah, know, I don't feel like that's a father's job. So, 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 so my dad, my dad communicated with me through action, mm. through doing, through music, through, I mean, growing up. Um, he would bring my brother and I on stage to perform with him, his his band, you know? Mm. And uh, he would, like, all the ramps to get inside my house, my childhood home, he built. The the thing I used to put my shoes on every day, he built with yeah. his bare hands. There you go. Um, so my uh, go, looking back, I realized, like, oh, shit, my dad is dope. Like, yeah. my dad's amazing. It was a lot of showing, not yeah, saying. Yeah. yeah, it's cool that you <laughs> realize that about your father. But yeah, you know. I mean, honestly, I would not be where he was the one. Like when I was learning to get dressed, dressing myself, mm. literally, he would lay clothes out on the couch, put my put my reacher next to me, and say, um, "Figure it out. If you need help, we will help you." Yeah, yeah. But you need to figure this out. I was in middle school, dude, and I still had not learned how to dress myself. Yeah. Because because for so long, I didn't want to do it. It was too hard, and I just, I was so like, I don't want to do this. It's too hard. Just help me. Yeah. You know, and eventually uh -huh. he's like, do you want somebody dressing you your whole life? Right. You have the ability to do that. Other people don't have that ability. Right. You have that ability. Your dad's a smart so, man. That's a great... So literally, I was sitting on the couch and I would just be crying because it would be like two hours and I still haven't freaking dressed myself. Yeah. And my mom's like wanting to come in and he's like, no, nope, stay there. He needs yeah, to... Figure and then out. eventually, you know, through... He would, he would come in, stand in the doorway, watch me, and then give me pointers like, hey, try this. Try this. Right. You know, it's... Uh, so you had... So... so we experience a lot of people who have had an accident that mm -hmm. caused them to have some kind of trauma, which made them, uh, you know, have a disability. So mm -hmm. you're one of the first people, uh, you know, one of the first people that we've met that had to struggle with it their entire life. So when did you get that, which you have now, which is we characterize as this like kind of like burning desire to like conquer everything since you had to find it on your own since childhood? Like when you were like, fuck that, I don't want to listen. I don't want anyone to help me. When did you find that? Well, I mean... I think to an extent outside the home. Okay. 
that existed. Yeah, tell us about what happened outside the home when you had, what was your attitude like? So to an extent outside the home, I realized like, oh shit, I, I got, I have to show, like people think I ain't shit. Oh. Everywhere, I, I like to say like when I give speeches, I always say anytime I enter into a room, my wheelchair enters it first. So I have to prove to people that I'm not a wheelchair with a person in it. I'm a person in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. So a bar. E wow. every new space I enter where people don't know me, my chair enters it first. Do you so, get people saying to you all the time like, oh, you're so motivational, you're inspiring? So yeah, exactly, that too. So, and this is- Do you is like a, that or no? I'll get to it. So this is, this is- <laughs> he, He's controlling this thing, Zach, sorry. not you. This is, sorry, sorry, man. You're good? This is another thing that I say when I speak is there is a thin line between being inspired by my story and inspired by my existence, okay? Mm. So I have no problem. In fact, what I do for a living, I want you to be inspired by my story. What I don't want you to be inspired by is the simple fact that I am existing in this world. Do you think that had a lot to do with the reason why you're so, you know, you project so much outgoingness and always are a performer? Is that, was that like an act of a reaction to your assessment of people's view on you? I, I think, I think early on in my life, through my teenage years, until I went through that therapy that I will talk about, I'll talk about why I ended up there. But I think before that, it was very much a defense mechanism. Right. I don't think it was real. It mm. was not real. So people see this like very outgoing John, but like, was there ever like deep depression and thoughts of suicide early on? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Damn. Um, and it, it How hit, old were you when that happened? It hit hard when I was, the, it hit the hardest when I was uh, like 16. Um, so right in high school. Yeah, like 15. And nobody knew. Nobody. And nobody knew. Nobody. Um, but that's the thing is, and it's actually funny, I mentioned earlier that I came out like in 2014. So for, and at that time, you know, what was I, 20 at that time? So I had been closeted for like 10 years at that point. So when you're carrying that along with the cerebral palsy, you learn how to mask really well, yeah, mm -hmm. really well. So people don't, so you can hide, like you learn it. It's scary how well you learn it. Yeah. Um, so so when, it was, what did it feel? What did it feel like as far as what, what was like your biggest fear? So I can tell you, um, so when I was 15, 16, that was the year when the ideation started. It was, I will not name names because even in my book that I'm working on right now, I've changed their names. So, okay. you know, um, but, what? but basically I started experiencing like relentless bullying every day um, at lunch. By, in high school? Yes. By the same group of people. He had uh. essentially infiltrated the group of my childhood friends. Um, and that's what made it worse because none of them stopped it. And picked on you for being... Basically what he would do is essentially... Like if I'm eating lunch, right? And I have, I'm, I'm pulling up under the table in my chair, right? I'm at the end of the table, right? Um, and um, so he come maybe knock a little something off the table on my left side. So I had to bend over and try and pick it up with my left knock hand. Knock something off of your, like your yeah, things? Yep. Damn. Or, or, or like 
or like when I would move my hand and stuff, he would be like, oh, you know, just make fun of the way my left hand moved and things like that, and, you know? And he turned your childhood friend group against you? Essentially. So what happened was, basically what happened was they, and they know who they are watching this. I will not name names, but they know who they are. I gotta um, know. I gotta know, dude. I'll tell you after, okay. off air. Okay. Um, but essentially, um, they... Um, they didn't stop it. Yep. They thought it was hilarious. They would laugh along with it. Um, and, and essentially what what started happening was um, uh, they showed up at my house sometimes. Um, they showed up at my house um, and tried, you know, just kind of badgering me there too. Um, thanks Wait, was this when you came out? No, closet? no, this no, was no. before this that. Is, they were bullying you just for this being... was this was four years before that when I was still in high school. I didn't come 16 out 16 years old. Damn, bro. Yeah, I wish uh, you would have yeah, talked to me in high school. Fuck? I used to beat the fuck out of bullies. So, yeah. so then, I never liked bullies. Up. So, so then, so then, essentially, the, the one person that stopped it because I one day I remember I his name was Brett Wilson. I um, holy fuck, I used to work with him. Yeah. What's yeah. he doing now? Is he a so, bum? Um, I don't. I, I have to be honest. Yeah, he worked at Buffalo Wild Wings. He was thirty-one years old. To no, no, no. That's that's not the same. That's that's not the same dude. No, yet. no, because we we were in high school together. We were the same age. So essentially, um, he, I passed this. I should have brought it with me. God damn, I passed this journal entry around that I had written. It's it's in my book. You'll you'll see it when my book comes out. But it's uh I wrote, Hey guys, I feel like no one here likes me anymore. I know it's not true, because in my head I was trying to like justify it and be like, there's no way this is happening. Mm -hmm. You know? I've I know it's not true, but this is how I'm feeling. Mm. And I I passed it around the tape, right? Everybody read it, blah blah blah. Nobody reacted to it. People snickered, laughed, whatever. Brett was the only one. He then pulled me out into the hallway outside of, I think it was like Cafeteria B or, you know, the old ass cafeteria. The one by the, oh, yeah, yeah, By yeah, the yeah. senior lounge, yep. you know. Um, he pulled me on. He's like, yeah, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't want to go back in there, man. Like, I, I, I'm scared I'm going to hurt myself. Like, I, I don't want to hurt myself, but... I'm scared, like, it. they won't stop, and it's... Yeah, Brett helped him, guys. What? Oh, yeah, Brett, yeah. I thought Brett you were telling me guy. Brett was yeah, the bad guy. guy. No, 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 he helped, he helped me. Oh. He, he was the only one. He was mm. the only one who helped me, yeah. and that's why I don't change his name. They, like, he yeah. knows he's a real one. Oh, Shouts out awesome. to Brett. Shouts out Brett. Yeah, for real. So, his sister's page? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So he was the he one... He played soccer. Yeah, so he was the one that really got me... He started every day then after that we would go down to the social worker's office and eat lunch in there together mm. and basically have sessions, you know, social work sessions and all that stuff. Um, so you attribute Brett to helping save your life? Essentially, yes. Big time. Him and my parents, too, because my mom, my, my mom and dad, you know, I would constantly every day I would come home. I don't know how the hell I got any work done in high school and kept uh, in 10th grade specifically because I was just so out of it. But mm -hmm. um, I would come home. I remember this like vividly, like it was yesterday. I would come home, I would 
scoop a bowl of Neapolitan ice cream, right? I would put some of that magic chocolate shell stuff on it. It would harden. I was like, oh yeah, this shit about to slap, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. then then you freaking then you freaking stir it up so the little bits are all in the ice cream and shit. Yep. And then I would sit in this recliner chair in the corner of our living room, wrap myself up in a blanket because when I was in that blanket, mentally in my brain, I was like, I'm, if I'm under this blanket, I can't hurt myself. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I would sit under that blanket for hours and just write poetry in my journal just write 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 for hours and hours literally and then my cat would come up i put my rest of the the journal on his back and just write 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 and then my dad again this is another example of how my dad communicated with me another was through humor so he would grab my journal and be like i'll give you a dollar for every poem that i don't understand right so then he just started making it rain with like dollar bills and shit you know what i mean but like they were they were really like and i used to constantly tell my parents hey don't let me hurt myself don't let me do something stupid i feel like i'm gonna and they were like john we're not gonna let you hurt yourself number one uh, we'd hear you coming or trying to do anything anyway you know you're pretty loud you know so (laughs) we hear you you know they tried to make me laugh at the same time you know so they and they were they were the ones that drove me to therapy appointments and all kinds of stuff i there there's so much more to this story what was your biggest uh help to get through that point in your life therapy your parents um, friends it's a combination of all of that but okay. the but the therapist um uh mr bab chris bab at the time uh he was the school um social worker that, that worked it. with me and he played a huge role mm. in my ability to to realize like to realize that yes i was being bullied and that's not right right but i had so much other shit like i remember the first session see i went to social work school too he inspired me to so i have my degree in social work so mm. so like they call me the brain ninja now like that's the what, brain ninja the brain ninja oh brain ninja that's what my friends call me they're that's like, funny they're like yo he's, <laughs> he's gonna pick you apart and that's Normally what happens, but basically. So let's talk about your creative pursuits that kind of also helped you get out of that dark place, right? Yeah. Well, like other, like, let's talk about writing, journaling, music, whatever. Go ahead. Talk. So, so uh, that actually ties in perfectly with what I was about to say. So that first session with Bab, right? He takes a risk and in social work, sometimes there's, there's risks that you have to take. Um, like, do I push, ask this question? It's kind of like, and, and see the response that I get, right? So he, he took that risk. He got in front of me. He rolled his computer chair right here, leaned forward, put his hands on his knees, and he said, you mean to tell me that you've never had a day in your life where you're like, why the fuck me? Hmm. He said, I said, oh, I don't know, I don't know. He goes, cut the shit. We know, you know, that's not real. You know, that's not real. And then in that moment, just the shoulder dropped and just the tears just Damn, would, bro. and would not stop. Just, just, and then I spent the next three hours inside his office and the things I was saying, I was talking about, um, I know, uh, prior to air, I was kind of brushing on, uh, the surgeries that I had growing up. Mm. Um, and you said, save that for the pot. So, I mean, 
So um, I started talking about those surgeries. And as it's coming out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, shit, I've, I've told these stories like a million times before. But I realized the way that I was telling them, it was it it it, it wasn't in a authentic way. I, I feel like I was telling it in a way to to as a defense mechanism to kind of help me laugh about the traumas that I went through at that time. Mm. When really I went through shit no eight year old should ever have to go through. Yeah. Like when you're when you're uh Freaking, I, because I had two major surgeries done at once, uh, double hip osteotomy and double hamstring release. At eight years old? At eight years old. Okay. So, and this is something, and I want to say this publicly, uh, this is for my mother, and she's probably going to hate this, but you need to hear this, mom, because to this day, she's told me verbatim that she still holds that, that this is her fault for approving this surgery. It is not your fault. The doctors told you that this was going to help me. They told you that I would be back in school in like three weeks, not a year. They told you three weeks. So they lied to you. Hmm. It's not your fault. So now that I've said that publicly to the camera, I want you to say, just don't hold that, hold on to that. So essentially what the surgeries were was hip osteotomies because the muscles in my hips were so tight. They were pulling my hip out of the socket. Mm. So they had to put, they had to break my hip and then pin it back in the socket. So, and then a year later I got the pins out. And then the um, hamstring releases is when they cut the muscle. And to to be honest, that's the only part I know. Somehow they like reattach it so it's looser or some shit. I I don't even know. But so I had both those procedures done at once. And essentially what happened after that was I was in so much pain uh, that the muscle spasms would cause my body to arc up like this, right? So they had me on every painkiller under the sun, morphine, fentanyl patches, all at the same time. How old were you when Damn. you were on fentanyl eight, patches? Eight years old. Eight. That's crazy, This is bro. This is Westchester Medical Center before they had a child uh, children's hospital. Uh, they had no clue what to do with me. So I'm... Do you think those surgeries were to your de- overall detriment, or do you think I they think, helped you? I think that in a twisted way... They helped me because I wouldn't be who I am if I yeah, hadn't but gone physically, through. But physically. physically, that's another story. Wow. I really, I really don't think. Wow. Damn. But, wow. but, um, wow. but, uh, I can say. Th- so I was on so many painkillers that I'm hallucinating at eight years old. So Jesus. some of the hallucinations they, they were pretty dope. Like one of them was one of, <laughs> Yo, one, yeah. of one of them was like I got pizza delivered to my room by by a Blackhawk helicopter or some shit. Damn, like God. that was pretty dope. But the scariest one, and this is the one that I always say, there is no childhood after this. There is no childhood. And honestly, um, one of the worst ones. I was eight years old, and you know when a TV goes like static. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it was it was like that, right? But it was all different colors. So that's all I could see. And then in my peripheral vision here, it, it was like these power lines that was going like this, right? And in between the power lines, there was like this cube. It was going back and forth, right? And each time it came towards me, it got smaller and smaller and smaller. So in my eight-year-old brain, I'm like, oh, shit. This is going to disappear, and I'm going to die. Oh, shit. Like, this is it. This is it. It's a wrap. 
You thought you were dying. Why were you yeah. hallucinating? Because of the medicine? Because of the morphine and the oh, fentanyl no. patches, all that stuff. So I'm flailing, crying, because all I can see is that. I can hear everything that's going on around me. But all I can see is what I just described to you. So my parents had to physically restrain me. I can't remember which one had to hold my arms down and which one had to hold my legs down, but they were straddling me on top of that hospital bed to keep me from harming myself because I was just so out of it. Yeah. You know, so coming out of that, there's no childhood. So I started that because, um, that story, because that was one of the things that I, I told Bab in that first session where I, I told those stories and in, in, in past times when I was recounting it, I was like, yeah, man, I, you know, I was tripping on painkillers at eight years old. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, and I think it was like a defense mechanism. Not, so you never really had to feel it. Not, yeah. Not really realizing like, oh shit. That like, was real. That's fucked like, up. Yeah. Yeah. you, you lost your child. Like I said, there's no childhood. After so he that. was the first person to really get through to you and help you to truly appreciate the experience you had. At eight years old. Yeah, I, I never, and even just my experience with cerebral palsy and just like understanding like. He made it real for you. Yeah, like understanding like, oh, like, yeah, like I do have those, those days. But and so I, this was a, a pinnacle moment for you and a turning point for Absolutely. You. And how did that change you immediately? It, well, it changed me. Well, I, I wish it was immediately, but um, it took you know, about a year of intensive therapy. But essentially, I had some therapy outside of school, too, once a week. And so it was just very intensive therapy for, uh, like, probably a year and a half, two years. Mm. And just constant work on my end of... And then that's, Bryce, to go back to your initial question, because I'm sure when you booked me, you knew that I could talk forever and ever. But... Uh, um, <laughs> Going back to your initial question about how that kind of, how my creative process links with all that. In that first session, uh, Bab challenged me because he saw that I had a journal and he said, I want you to write a poem about what you're feeling right now, you know? So that's what really started me on writing every single day because I realized I'm writing these poems and it's just like, flowing out and i'm realizing that as i'm writing these poems some of them are sad yes some of them are dark but i'm realizing when i'm writing them i'm trying to to still find the light at the end of the tunnel to try and like remind myself like oh it's gonna get better like mm. it's gonna get better you're gonna be okay like it you know and so the do book you remember any of your uh darkest poems off the top can you recite one off the top a from maybe a short one from my journals I, unfortunately, they're so old, I cannot recite them often. I can, I can recite um, one of my uh, uh, spoken word poems that I wrote about that. Uh, we might have to move this mic back because I get a little crazy. <laughs> but, um, you know, because I, I, I do spoken word poetry as well. That's What's that? All, so spoken basically, word. it's like performative poetry. She oh, gets okay. rowdy. Yeah. It gets really rowdy. So I do a poem. Uh, it's my closer, usually called Mama. It's about the year that um, that I was, you know, bullied. Do you guys want me to perform this? Yeah, do it. Can you write there? To us. Yeah, but that us. So it goes, April 2010. Mama, 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 please don't let me die. 
please don't let me do something. I envision myself jumping or doing something, something to end this cycle. It's endless and I can't pretend this doesn't hurt me anymore. See, I'm smiling, but I'm dying inside. A roadside attraction with nowhere to hide. They spill when they pass me or leave me to dry. Shit, I'm worthless. I bet if I was gone tomorrow, they wouldn't even notice. Cause I'm just good for a punchline. Good for a laugh when they stand in the lunch line. They go home and post some more shit about me online. Facebook is perfect cause they know I'm never online. Just breathe. But tell me, how am I supposed to feel when I have no friends? How am I supposed to feel when it feels like everyone would rather laugh at me than love me? I dare any one of these motherfuckers to spend one day in my shoes and see if they like it. See if they don't go home and think about never coming back again. That's sweet. But let's fast forward. Because it's 2023 and I'm still here. I came back. I came back because I learned that life is the best clapback. So dear, no, I'm not even gonna say your name. I hope you feel real dumb right now. Cause look who I became. That's mama. Bars. That one fucking bars. Holy shit. My boy's shit. a rapper. That boy a, Nem over here. He's There's a, a lot of rap influence there. Who's your top three? Yeah. Oh boy. So, uh, so basically my biggest musical influences, like, um, Early on, I grew up on a lot of like rock and roll and heavy metal, believe it or not. I think that that's also what kind of helped me like have this like fuck the world, like fuck all these motherfuckers. I'm gonna like, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I, I was in third grade fucking blasting like Pantera and fucking Metallica. Damn. Like real aggressive. Throwbacks. My top artist really, if we really want to get down to like influences in life, um, I'm gonna first start off by being super corny and saying my dad, because watching him perform growing up really like taught me, like he taught me how Bryce, you know, I, you know, I got a whole home studio in my house yeah. and my dad was the one that taught me how to do that. So, you know, my father first and foremost was like my first influence. Now, after that, a lot of the things that I grew up on, like I said, was metal. So I would say it was always like uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Metallica, um, you know, even I, I went through a Kiss phase where I loved Kiss. Now, now I look back on that, I'm like, what the hell were you doing? Kiss boy? has some classics. But, but, um, oh, but wait, Kiss. does anyone ever tell you that you have kind of like like an accent, like a... Like a black son? Yes, because you, so this is the, yeah, wait, you have, you have a black son. Black son. So, you do. so you do. So so this is so this is funny because when I was when I went to college, right? Um so I told you how like I have staff to come in mm -hmm. and they help me twice a day. So when I was in college, um most of my staff were other students that had come from like the Bronx, you know. So I would, I would spend so much time with them and we'd be, we're like brothers, you know what I mean? We we're always together. Yeah. So I just like picked up their accent and like they're, they're without even knowing. That's so had I, a I, heavy influence. So, so I would go home and my mom would be like, why are you speaking with a Bronx? Like what's <laughs> happening? I'm like, I don't, but I don't even notice it. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. it's just been 
I've been around it so much you don't even you don't even notice it. It's funny. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because yeah. because I remember I had uh <laughs> because yo, I did spoken word in at Arlington High School too. You know, I I was in this slam poetry contest yeah. with uh what were their names? Um uh, I remember that. Yeah, I watched you. I you remember did? that. Yeah. yeah. I remember crazy. that, dude. That's crazy. I just like crossed over because I always would write bars. I wrote raps, you know, and performed raps a lot in high Mobby's school. Mobby's a real rapper. Oh, I remember because when I first started making beats, this is going to be mad throwback. Okay. But when I first started making beats in like 2010, one of, one of my friends, Landon Morris. Oh, yeah. That's, we grew up with was Landon, was, yeah. like, was like, oh, I got, I got you know, couple couple of my friends over here, you know. They they are group basically. They're doing Jet Force over yeah. there. Yeah, Jet, Jet Force. Wow, the real throwback. Yeah, throwback, right? So they're like, my oh. original group. so they're like, oh, you should make some beats for them. So, I, but I don't I don't know if they ever got to you because I because nah. I actually made you a couple of beats, but they never. For real? I don't think they ever if got to you. If you didn't bring them with you today, you you're got, slacking. Yeah, I was just say I, that. We touched base later on, and then I knew that you were into production and things like that. And I think yeah. I think I heard some of your productions, but. Early on back then, dude? No, I had yeah, no clue. Because I actually made you some beats, so I don't think they ever yeah. got to you. But <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I don't I don't even know if I still have them. I'm gonna have to search my Bro, yeah. you better find those beats. Hold on, John. Did you pull up to the rap battle at McDonald's parking lot or not? Nah? I, I did not. No. Okay, okay, okay. With me and Xavier where we first <laughs> oh, No, I remember Xavier. Xavier yeah. was the man, dude. Yeah, he got he was awarded best rapper in uh, the yearbook. Yeah, I was pissed. That was an award at Arlington? Yeah. I'm was the best rapper? Superlatives, yeah. I wanted to win what? that shit, but I didn't because I was corny. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I rapped on stage at prom. Imagine I rapped the on delusion. stage at Senior Follies. There's best rapper at Arlington High School where we got no, kids from LaGrange and then at Poughkeepsee High School. I guarantee you they didn't have that. Speaking of Senior Follies, dude, the they 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 declined my Senior Follies kit. They wouldn't let me Hold do on. it. Hold on. Did you compete in Mr. Arlington? No. Okay. But I wanted to do senior follies, and they um, said no because my skit would be potentially offensive. And I'm like, I'm the one doing it. I wanted to do competitive sitting. Yo, <laughs> Tony loves I'm that. Dead. Tony, tell them about your Mr. Arlington performance. Yeah, you did some crazy shit. Oh yeah, we had like a ninja fight. We were doing backflips and all sorts of <laughs> shit. There's no, there's no way to really tell you. Actually, Cody Farrier played fucking piano. He was playing "Unfaithful" by Rihanna, which is a sick song to play on the piano. And then we had a ninja fight with like. Do you have the clip? Is it on YouTube? Put the clip. Yeah, it's on. Put yeah, we gotta clip. put the clip. Put the in. clip. Yeah, it's on. Describe yeah. it. I think it's on Facebook. Yeah, I've seen it. And we just have a ninja fight too. Everybody was kung fu fighting. And uh, nice. Tony's actually somehow a music we savant. fucking lost. Music's and music is like embedded in Tony's brain. He can he hits perfect pitch. He's like brilliant with it, really and he can play you're piano. Like, you're like Shawn Mendes. Shawn Mendes has perfect pitch supposedly. Yeah. Well, I but I can't like really that. sing yeah. that well, but I always know a tune. What, tell them about when we go on vacations. What? <laughs> when they count us out? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Josie's on a vacation. Pull up the clip. Anyway. Yo. While we're, while we're talking about that, okay. do you think disabled is a bad word or handicap? Because I feel like you're the well, type that would Okay, wouldn't. so handicap, yes. Why? Do not. Because I think it, it's right up there with like, Handy, capable, and what's wrong with that? Because here's the thing. Because here's the thing. This is what I'll this is what I'll say. And you know what's interesting is when when I was early in college, I used to call myself differently able, right? Mm -hmm. And I used to love that term. I used to think it was like the best thing since fucking sliced bread, you know. And then I started 
involving myself in disability rights groups like ADAPT um, do great work for um, independent living for people with disabilities, disability rights uh, overall. Also, I do want to shout out, um, it is the- uh, I do want to shout out, it is the anniversary of the ADA. So shout out the Americans with Disabilities Act. We out here, okay? Shout so, out. Yo, so, yo, let's like, let's like, let's keep in mind like what we're trying to like make like these like TikTok clips, clips, TikTok clips. Yes. So let's like debate the merits of the using the word disabled. Why, what Tony thinks versus what you think. Okay. Hit, hit us with a point. Tony will hit us with a point. We'll debate. Okay. I actually don't know where handicap derives from. So uh, to, I don't either. Then but, how could you but, be offended but, but, by but, it? But, but I always say, because, because basically it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's just one Do you of you think it's demeaning? Yes, it's one but of the But then how is it disabled? One, be, because because disabled is a it's just people have tried to to say that that's a bad thing. Like so remember I was talking to you uh before we were on air. I was saying people think we were talking about this topic and I said people think it's the worst thing in the world to be disabled. Yeah. It's the worst thing that can happen to you, right? And I said uh, in reality, the worst thing that can happen to you is you die. Like that's the worst thing. There's no coming back from that. Facts. You know, as, lo as long as you're breathing, it's 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 you're good. You know. So when I was when I was around a lot of people with with other people with disabilities, and I was calling myself differently able, they were looking at me like, "Who the fuck are you? And <laughs> what the." Like, yo, like, but when, when, when me and Tony pull up to the airport and we get that handicapped parking, I'm lit. Yeah, you know, so like, I'm you know with, what I'm saying? I'm with being handicapped. Quick, quick, uh, quick side note when I uh, this had nothing to do with what we we're talking about. So I, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the first time you've sidebars. Because <laughs> definitely, listen, we're definitely gonna get into and we've already kind of addressed it, but not specifically. Like, you got John, you and Tony actually share like a big kind of like mindset yeah. thing, which is which is gratitude and like and like being able to like you know help others but i don't want to get bogged down with that i think i think i mean it's interesting because tony you know you as an amputee you you have your own disability you know right so right. you um it's very interesting to see um two people with disabilities that also have two very different lived experiences with a disability because it's two different types right you know so so i i also think that um well tony can hide it you know like tony's well, at the there, point where he can there, hide there it. is that too yeah. but yeah but that's and, and that's another conversation that that they have within the disability community where sometimes it's it's a terrible thing but sometimes people are like oh, oh you're not really disabled like it's a whole it's it's bullshit it's fucking bullshit or is what it we've is. addressed like the in, an invisible yes uh, that's that's for. real there is yes. invisible disability but what what Which a lot actually of... pains people sometimes and they will need to get surgery and mm -hmm. the doctors are like no you're not this yes you're not a, you don't have a problem yeah. or that, that or if they need crps yeah. or if they need accommodations like in college or school and then officers are like nah fuck you you're not disabled you know what i mean like but you are. So that's the thing too, where it's like, um, understanding the terminology, un understanding like why it's offensive. So why yeah, it's why, offensive, why, why, yeah. Yeah. why, so why things like handicapped, I, I always say handicap isn't for disability. That's a, that's a golf term. That's a golf term. Okay. You know what I mean? That's a golf term. That's what I always say. So, 
So I always say I am disabled because I'm, that's not a bad thing. It's okay to say. It's like, that's what it is. I have a disability. I can say I'm disabled or I'm a person with a disability. Either one of those, fine, great. You know what I mean? Because I just, I, the verbiage behind that is taking away the fear of it. Because I think words like handicap and things like that, they, they have this societal like tinge to it where it's like, oh, it's like a sense of, of constant need of help, constant need of, you know, or another, another one that I hate is uh, uh, special needs. Uh, because I always say uh, people with disabilities, our needs are not special. Our needs are our, our needs to mm. survive in a world that is not built for us. Someone would argue that they are different. They're special because they're not their general needs. But see, that's, that's interesting because that's, that's another thing where it's like everybody's needs are different. So what, so what makes my needs special apart from your needs? Your needs as a person, Bryce, are way different than what Tony's needs as a person are. Tony's needs as a person are way different than what my needs as a person are. Everybody's needs in this room are different. Totally. So when referring to the things that I need to be able to exist in a world, why do we refer to those as special and everybody else is like, oh, those are just normal baseline needs. Yeah, I feel that. You I, know, I think an interesting topic that we could hit uh, if you guys are into it is um, like the accessibility, maybe like with the iPhone or like what are the problems with accessibility? Because we've interviewed a lot. You know, we like, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is Dana Jones because she literally created a, an app yeah. called Accessador. Yeah. Sick episode. Which is like catering to college, the, the needs of people who have more needs in college, right? Yes. Doors. You, do you know Jane? Dana? Yes, yeah. Okay. So, you know, I just think it's interesting. It's an interesting topic. I just I just jumped on my iPhone the other day and it's like it letting me do cool ass voice commands and shit. So are you using like voice commands on the phone I, at all or no? I, I use like voice to text, that type of thing okay. quite a bit because I'm like, it's very hard for me to text. Mm-hmm. you know so i use that shit all the time so i, I <laughs> use voice i use voice to text all the time yeah um what's another thing i use what the, about when you're writing when you're doing your writing like spoken word and shit are you doing voice to text yes that's actually crazy because it's, it's so much harder to maintain like a stream of thought like lyrically or in that flow you know what you know what's crazy is it actually helps me because i feel like i'm performing the poem as i'm writing it so i can mm. kind of like here like so when i'm writing right i write like if if you listen to that poem that i perform for you there's some there's things in there that i'm sure you could if you they're called reaction lines you know like you know when you say it 95 percent of the time if the audience has a pulse you're gonna get some sort of reaction yeah you know <laughs> so so um as i'm writing and and using my my voice to do that um you know I can kind of hear like, oh shit, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting somewhere here. Yeah. Like this is something and I can kind of perform it and, and feel as I'm going like, oh, this is how it's going to flow. If it doesn't flow like that. Then. So that's something that in terms of accessibility, um, that's something I use a lot with the watch. The reason why I got the watch is because it has the fall detect and, uh, mm. you know, that's an Apple watch. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
So that's your watch don't do that. So that so that's Beach. so that's a big thing for the, me. These guys have a debate about what's better, the Rolex or the Apple Watch. Tony's Apple out. Watch all day, bro. Fall detect. I'm 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 out I'm out there with you. I got the life alert on my bitch. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know you know it's funny because oh, I I ended up buying the Apple Watch because my 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 mother like because I live alone. She's like, you need to get a life alert. Like you need to get a. You life do alert. live alone. Yeah, yeah. She's like, you need to get a life alert, and I'm like, mom. No fucking way I'm getting a life alert. Like, Can we talk about that? <laughs> yeah, I want to talk just... about your transition of leaving home and how that was different from many other people. And it must have been a lot scarier because, you know, oh, obviously you need a lot of assistance. So, I fucking so run cried us through my that. eyes out. How, how old were you when you moved out of the house? So I'm, well, I first moved out when I went to college. You know? Right. So is that where you want to like? Let's do that. Yeah, fuck it. Okay. Go from so, there. So when I first moved to college, yep. like I remember I went to UAlbany. So when you're driving, you can see one of the towers from the road, right? So uh, right as we see the tower, I start fucking flipping out, like crying my elbows out. Like, I can't do this. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So so I'm like flipping the fuck out. Tell them I'm like, turn around, blah, blah, blah. We get there. I'm all moved into my room. like, And they, thank you to you, Albany. They really went above and beyond to really make my room accessible to my needs. Yep. You know? So I'm in there. I'm freaking out, right? Crying my elbows out. My mom's crying. Everybody. What are the thoughts going through your head? I've never been away from my parents. Yeah, and... like I've, I've, I've literally never like this is the first time I've ever been on my own, on my own. Yeah, gotcha. You know what I mean? So I'm like, oh, this is like the real deal. Yeah. You know? So I'm crying my eyeballs out. My mom and dad leave. I'm I cry for a little, a, a little bit longer, and then I look around like. The yeah, fuck baby. am I crying? Wait, were you dorming with someone, or you're completely alone? No, so, so what happened? The way you Albany did it was, it's a, it's like a um, common room, and then there's uh, one room with two dudes, and then I get my own double room. Oh, fire! Thank you, wheelchair. You their double right? room. Thank fire. you, wheelchair. I got the fucking my boy sweet. Had the double room. I had so the, you, so you adjust to that quickly. Yeah. You're happy at college alone. Yeah. Yeah, because you cause, got a good friend group. Up yeah, there. a good friend group. And like, literally, after they leave, I, I'm looking around. I'm like, the fuck am I crying for, dude? I'm on I'm, I'm my own. Nobody could tell me shit. Get the fuck out of here. You right. know what I mean? Like, were you ever doing drugs at college? No, I never. <laughs> I never. I never did that. That weed, coke, alcohol. I never did that. I actually, I'm such a nerd. I had my first drink in in college my junior year of college there's actually. nothing wrong with that because I think that's asking. actually the legal drinking yeah. age so. I, I had i had my first drink i think my 21st birthday oh. um good and Fucking great that's with, what you're with, supposed to with you know and with me with the with the like different medications that i'm on that's why i had to be like careful with, oh yeah with like what i what i do i still yeah. do to this you day. still take a lot of medications well i'll <laughs> Dude, I'm on enough muscle relaxers to fucking put down a horse. Oh, shit. <laughs> but uh, I'm on 100 milligrams a day. Try that and stay wow. awake. Wow. Damn, bro. Yeah. I will try it. Yeah, let me get a piece. <laughs> you're, bro, you're already sleeping. Calm down. But uh, tattoo this Friday. has all been a hallucination. Just yeah. like that. Tattoo this Friday. is not real at all. All right, so let's talk about you come back from college. You move yeah. back home, I assume, for a small period of time. Yeah, okay. after I Then yeah. you gain your own financial independence? Well, essentially what happens is... Graduate, you know, move home, live there for a few months. Could not find any place that was accessible. Anywhere. To work. To move? To no, to live. Oh, shit. Yeah, to live by yourself. To live by yeah. myself. And then I found this place, like, out in East, what the fuck, 
you know. Oh, I know where uh, that's at. Outside. Right next to it's, West, what the fuck? It's in uh, <laughs> that's, that's the other side. <laughs> it's in Rotterdam, which is in Schenectady. Uh, I know where that is. That's really and, where and, what the fuck uh, at. Uh, so and so basically, they um, they hadn't built this complex yet, so I was able to basically give them some specs. And I mean, I ended up having to, my family ended up having to like pay pay out of pocket for it. Uh, the 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 um, you know, the renovations right. they had to do, but they did it, and so I moved in there. So basically, and then from there, that's when I realized, like, I want to do my own thing. So that's so up I'm, until that point, had you been supported by your family exclusively for your entire life, well, even through college? Well, not supported by my family, cause but I had been getting what's called SSI income for like disability. My What's dis- SSI? It's suppl- supplemental security income. So okay, and that helps to fund your lifestyle it, and well, your living. Not, not lifestyle. You're, you're getting like $100, like nothing. Funny? You know what I mean? Uh-oh. Yeah. Lifestyle and, and insinuates that it's like luxury. Yeah, it's not luxury. It's literally like here's money, just enough money for My like... My boy don't even have to walk. He, that's luxury to me, Poppy. That's, that's, bas- that's basically like um, here's enough money to like barely survive and then here's the well, supplemental right here, here's the here you know here's the income limits that you have all this stuff okay so that's you know and did you ever have problems with um you said your chair was like mad expensive you were telling yeah. jj before this about how like uh how lit your chair is it stands up it's yeah. crazy so was that privately funded or was that funded so uh that i ended up i got this my senior year of high school so I've had it for like 11 years now. Okay. Um, they, I got denied five times by my private insurance at the time. Um, I ended up having to fundraise because back then you could do like partial approvals. They don't do that anymore. So, um, how I much fun- did you fundraise? Over 10 grand. Damn. Okay. Um, that's a, that, that's, that's how did you do that? Wow. Uh, we threw a giant paint party, like a glow paint party. Oh, at, uh, Two of two of my friends, actually, uh, Landon Morris and then his cousin also Prada, uh, uh, their mothers uh, uh, helped. Pam and Trish. Yeah, yeah, their mothers helped organize that, uh, along with my parents um, at, at Truman's nightclub. That yo, they're <laughs> just gonna say yeah. Truman's. Remember Truman's? Yeah, that's what Truman's every fucking weekend. That's a throwback. Every uh, so, oh, every three weekends when so, they have this. So we had a nightclub. fucking glow paint party. I was probably was there. Dude, I'll never forget. And there's someone at my glow paint party that's fundraising for me. It's like, what are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to be in bed? Like insinuating because I'm in a wheelchair. I'm not supposed to be in a party. <laughs> and so, so I, I, I felt like saying, be like, no, nah, bro, I'm here. Oh, by the way, thanks for the, you know, the funds, the fundraise. That's the way. Right. But yeah, so. So I don't want. I don't mean to cut everything off, but let's get into like, uh, you know, how you make money now. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at is when did you gain your financial independence? Basically, um, so you want me to ask like about what I do now? Yeah, Yeah, how do you make make your money? When did you gain your financial independence and begin living on your own? So, so, well, I began living on my own in October 2016. Nice. And I'll be honest, you know, it, it took... A while, like I, I still have income limits because I have home care needs that I need. So those those still have to be met. Like right now, I'm working on uh, saving up to start an LLC, mm. you know, so that I can actually branch out and gain that real full full independence. You know what I mean? Yeah, got right. you. I when mean, you say you have income limits, if you go over a certain number, you don't get yeah. I, I special lo- government I lo- programs. I, I lose my my home my my health home health care. 
things like that. And and it's a lot of money. How do you feel about that? It's yeah, kind of backwards, right? It's, yeah, yeah, it's messed up because like the the price for me, I would venture to say, um, is probably over a hundred grand a year in home care needs. Wow. Um, so holy fuck. So um, so like you know. And wait, and how much does it cost now? It's free. So it's it's funded through Medicaid. Yes. Mm. Wow. So zero dollars to a hundred thousand dollars. incentivizes you there. essentially to not work. not work. Not not even that. It's it's well. I would say this, that this is what I say to people when we talk about the work situation and people with disabilities, is we want to work. It's, but often we're given either you work and you lose your ability to live functionally. Right, that's what or, I'm saying. It, it or, incentivizes you not to work. Exactly, it, it incentivizes you to, you know, but I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? I want to fucking be doing my thing. So right. I finally, you know, like I said, I've been saving up to start the LLC so I can be like, you know, get out from under the, 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 the neck of, you know, this. So thing. what are you doing Institute. to make money? Speaking engagements? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I do speaking uh, right now. It's, you know, virtual, mostly post COVID because of, you know, my situation. I have to Fucking be COVID. extra careful, you know, what's the um, most you ever made in one speaking engagement, one speaking engagement. Well, do you want like one day? Because I've done multiple engagements sure. in a day. Yeah. So, well, let's see. I I had one. Wait, hold on. I had one where I, did, I made like four grand in one keynote. Wow. That Damn. Was, that was one. That was. Damn. Yeah. We're sending this right to the IRS, bro. Yeah. But see, gone. see what happens with that is then you have to use that money, and and you can spend it on things that you need. So a lot of times what I would do to spend it down and be within that income limit is buy like parts for my wheelchair, things that I would need that would break. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. this chair is not cheap to keep together. How much is that yeah, chair? That chair is a business expense. Yeah, expense, so, so. so MSRP for this chair, it's $42,700. And that was 11 years ago. So Damn. Damn. So, um, yeah. Damn, that's a new Kia. Yeah. New Kia, cuz. Yeah, it's, it's pretty intense. That's a lot of money, bro. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about what I do. Um, I look at it, like I said, I went to school for social work. Mm -hmm. So I really look at it as like a, just a giant social work session. You know what I mean? And this is, this is, it's funny, Bryce, you're going to hate me, but this is really what I, well, this is really what I wanted to like get down to is like what I do and why I do it. Let's talk Let's about it. You know what I mean? This is this is really the brass tacks, what I wanted to talk about. Let's get down to the brass tacks. So, what I do with folks. So basically, um, like I said, what I look at my job as is like a giant social work session. So my goal in what I do is, is it's going to sound very rudimentary, but it's to make sure that every room I enter, even if it's like thousands of people that I'm talking to, that everyone in that room feels like it's just me and them hmm. like one-on-one -on -one talking to each other i want everyone in that room to feel like they matter in that moment because they do i mean the one thing i've learned throughout my work is just how much people of all ages i'm talking k through 12 high school college don't hear that they matter these days i've had middle school kids break down after 45 minutes of speaking to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, that was the first time anyone ever told me that I met. And I think 
don't you think that that is so like rudimentary? Yeah, that's to, a pretty basic to thing like that human, everyone should to feel. To like human existence to just feel that you matter, right? Yeah. So like So you think there's a large lack of that in the so, world today? I think so, and I I I think that I think that um there's a lot of factors that play into that. I think social media is a big one mm-hmm. too because I mean, you can create narratives on social media that, you know, um aren't true, you know, and it can have an impact on people's mental mm-hmm. health. Mm-hmm. Um like I had the luxury you heard in the poem where I found out that kids were posting shit about me on my Facebook. And but back then, you know, I had to log on the computer to go in my Facebook and I never did it. These days kids got it right in their pa- their pocket and it's everywhere. So they can't escape it. So like it's just constant um mental anguish that these kids are dealing with, especially with COVID. When that happened, and then they're stuck in a the house, they're stuck away from people, so they don't have human inter- interaction as much anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's such a deficit of human connection in society these days, especially after 2020. Excuse me. Because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But so what I do, what I try and do in my work is, is take that 45 minutes to an hour and have everyone in that room feel seen, heard, validated, and understand that that their story matters mm-hmm. and that um, you know their their story is their strength. Now, how do you do that over Zoom? Because that's pretty difficult. Um, that is difficult. Yeah. Um, I I can tell you that it's a different experience, mm-hmm. but I haven't had any negative, you know, reactions to it. No. What type of feedback do you typically get? What's it? I have letters, tons of letters that kids have written me because I have like uh, email, a specific uh, email that I they'll they'll send them to like my booking email, my business email mm-hmm. because teachers will hand it out. Some teachers have them handwrite notes and they'll send it to me. I have, um, you know, and the things that these kids tell me. You know, even college age, after 45 minutes, it's like blows your mind, mm. you know, and, and you realize you just have to give kids the chance. You have to tell them, like, a lot of people think they're not ready to have hard conversations, but a lot of times they, they want to have that emotional conversation. They want to to be vulnerable they want to express themselves to you but so many adults i mean like i was telling jj before this so many schools would be like oh no no no, we can't say that that's too much for them when i mean even middle schoolers the 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 top thing that i get told is thank you for treating us like we are human Mm. thank you for speaking to us like we have emotion because we do of course you know everybody does and you have to teach people that it's okay to feel emotion. I always say like it's okay to look in the rearview mirror, but don't get, don't look too long. You get in an accident, so like it's okay to, mm. you know, feel That's things. A, that is a bar. Feel yeah. things and reflect on things, and you know, but don't don't live there. You know. Right. Yep. You know, but um, uh, I do one thing. I also wanted to make sure that I say while I'm here. And this is one of the mo- most important things that I say in all my speeches to people of all ages is um, if I'm assuming everyone in this room has put a puzzle together, correct? Yeah. Been so a while. 
So if a piece is missing from that puzzle, can you complete it? No. No. So every single person in this room right now, we all have our own shape, our own size, right? Yeah. And all the colors on top, those are all aspects of our identities, right? So if our shape was different, would we fit into the puzzle? No. no. If our size was different, would we fit into the puzzle? No. If any of the colors on top, our identities were different, we'd fit into the puzzle, but the picture would be messed up, right? Mm -hmm. So here's the best, the kicker is if your piece was not here physically, what would be there? A hole, right? Hmm. A hole that can never be replaced by anyone but you. That is your value as a person. That without you, there's a hole that can't be filled by anyone else. So every identity you have, no matter how much people want to knock you down for it, tell you you're lesser than, that's, that's, a, that's an asset. That's part of what makes you valuable. That's part of what you bring to this world that no one else can bring. And, you know, through the therapeutic process, I had to teach myself that, that every day you have to wake up and say, I matter, I matter, and my story matters and my existence matters. Because we live in a world that won't do that for us, unfortunately. Mm. That's powerful as fuck. That puzzle shit is crazy. It's a fucking so I wanted to incredible analogy. I wanted to make sure that I say that. Yeah. Um, that covers the last question. Yeah, that's I had. an incredible analogy. I think we ended there. Typically, I ask everybody at the end of the day, what's your message? But I that think, was definitely yours. I think yours. we nailed that, right? Yeah. I think we nailed it. Yeah. That was a great analogy.